Hi there, welcome into Downtown the Podcast, episode 22. Originating from the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine, Rich Kimball and Carrie Haskell here with you. The podcast brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. And by Nice Brewing Company, German-style beer from the woods of Maine. On the program this week, I will talk with a couple of talented folks, one of them the most honored actor in the history of the Emmy Awards, Ed Asner, who will join us in the second part of the program. We get things underway, though, with a, a guy who was a pioneer more than 30 years ago when MTV Music Television went on the air. He was one of the original VJs and actually the first to appear on camera. Alan Hunter has had quite an interesting career also as an actor, a film producer, and these days plying his trade with Sirius XM Radio. He's been with them now for the better part of a decade. We had a chance to talk music, music television, and more with original VJ Alan Hunter. Now, I had somebody tell me here at the station, they're pretty sure you were here in Bangor introducing Hall & Oates on the Big Bam Boom Tour. Do you remember that? That's so funny. I've been to Bangor twice. Uh, the first time I went was taking a trip up uh, mid-80s sometime just to sort of visit the area. And we stopped in some lobster house. Can you imagine they had a few of those up there? <laughs> I think it was the fall. And that was the first time I ever ate a big, like a whole lobster. I come from landlocked Alabama where red lobster was where you got a lobster tail. <laughs> so... To sit there at this cool little, you know, probably called Lobster Inn, I don't know, and they set before me a huge, like, whole lobster, give me a bib and a cracker, and say, go at it. I had no idea. There you go. Well, that's what... Like, really? You you crack these things open? Yeah, who would uh, think to do that? That's why that's, they were so big, you know, when the first, the first European settlers got here. You may not know this. Those suckers were about six to eight feet in size because nobody had ever eaten them before. Are you serious? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's like uh, that's like an alligator size. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know what to do because then you know, lobster to me was just a little white, fluffy bit of meat, a little <laughs> tail, disembodied from everything else. Like I'm supposed to crack open the thorax. So that was a real that was a real sweater for me. But yeah, I think I came back maybe a year or two later for the for the big band boom tour, and um, and did not get the tour around Bangor at that point. Kind of flew in and flew out, but. Uh, it was good the two times I came. Well, excellent. Well, you can count this as a third time today, even though it's just over the phone. I'm I'm feeling the vibe. Is there snow on the ground yet? Not yet, but uh, any day now, I'm sure. <laughs> now, want to talk well, a little bit Chicago? So we're, there's a little nip in the air. Oh yeah, you know. Want to talk a little bit about your background? People may not be aware that before you got to MTV, uh, you were an actor. You had studied at uh, Circle in the Square, and is this right? You acted with Raymond Burr, Perry Mason. <laughs> Actually, before I got to New York, I had a gig in, in college. Uh, an NBC movie of the week was filming down in Nat- Natchez, Mississippi. I went to school in Jackson, Mississippi. And there was a call out for, uh, you know, locals to come and audition for bit parts in this MOW. And I got the bit part of a wounded soldier. Uh, it was called To Heal a Nation, this cheesy Civil War movie. And uh, I made my speech to Raymond Burr. I call it the pivotal point in the movie. <laughs> and, uh, so that was my first acting role, and that's how I got my, my Screen Actors Guild card when I finally came to New York. So that was my, my first bit in the acting world. Now, where did you run into Bob Pittman and to begin the process of getting to MTV? <laughs> it's a long and terrible story, although I heard the banger falls and winters are long. Maybe you've got time. We have time. Oh, yes. The, uh, 
You know, uh, when people say, how do you get into the business, whether it's entertainment or music or acting, I say, you know, there's definitely 90% luck. There's 5% of just being in the right place at the right time. And I moved to New York, went to drama school at Circle in the Square, did all the things you would do to kind of prep a career as an actor. And in New York in, in 1980, you know, you could actually go and live there and struggle to be an actor. Nowadays, you can't do that. But um, I was at a picnic in New York Central Park for people born, bred, or educated in Mississippi. I'm an Alabama boy, went to college in Mississippi, so I went to this uh, event. Saw a lot of old pals and some new ones. Bob Pittman is from Mississippi, and he shows up with his second-in-command, John Sykes. I was introduced to him. He said he was doing this new thing or going to start this new channel. It was going to play videos 24-7. I said, well, that's funny. I'm just a struggling actor. I just did an off-off-Broadway production of Midsummer Night's Dream, some new wave punk rock version of it. His eyes rolled back at his head. (laughs) But I'd just been in a David Bowie video for fashion. So, uh, And it had just played on Midnight Special. You remember with Wolfman? Oh, sure. So I said, I know what videos are, but you're going to play them 24-7? That's weird. And he said, well, we hope not. We hope it'll work. I, I, I didn't talk any more about it. He didn't say anything to me. Two days later, I got a call from the executive producer saying that uh, Bob had run into you and uh, wants you to come down and audition. And I was like, for what? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't called. You know, this is probably two months prior to, to MTV launching uh, the midsummer of 1981. And they hadn't named it MTV. There was no name for it at that point. So I went down. I auditioned. It was terrible. At least I thought it was. They called me back a couple of days later for a second, I think even worse audition. And then finally, um, I, and I told my wife at the time, I, there's no way they're calling me back. So a third time they called me back, I'm not sure it was measurably better. But uh, they must have been desperate. They were coming down to the wire. They had hired Mark Goodman and Nina and JJ, I think Martha, around the same time as me. And they said, look, we just got to go with somebody. We need five, and that, that boy next door, we just, let, we'll fire him a few months into the gig, but let's just get this thing going. So, so that's, my, that's my humble appraisal of how it went down. How far into it did you all start to get the idea that, that this thing was going to catch on the way it did? You know, from the very beginning, I mean, my, my fun story is that I kept my bartending job for a month or two into the gig. I would literally go to the studio by day, do my job at MTV, and then I would bartend at night because I didn't know you know, how long it was going to last. Um, the, all of us had no clue because it wasn't playing in Manhattan where we all lived and did the show. Um, and so, you know, three months into it, we're all still wondering, you know, what is this thing? We weren't really able to watch it live in our apartments in New York. People in New Jersey were able to see it. But once we started going out on promotional appearances, you know, six months into the gig, they would fly us to, you know, Toledo, Ohio, to a record store appearance. And a thousand kids would show up because, you know, Middle America was getting MTV on their cable systems when the big markets were not that first year. And they were going crazy for MTV. We would come back with those stories. We'd get into the studio and I'd go up to Martha and go, you won't believe how many people showed up at this appearance. And I was like, oh, my God, this thing might work. <laughs> So six, seven months into it, we began to get a feel that uh, people all over America who weren't getting 
the music they you know they they were hearing music on MTV they had never heard before and they were calling up the cable stations I want my MTV and they were calling up the local uh, you know record stores asking if they had the Stray Cats or Duran Duran and uh, we saw it start to take off within that six month period. I, I still didn't feel secure in my job, though. I wanted to go back to my bartending. <laughs> <laughs> so I was making pennies. I was I was already starting to live beyond my means well, yeah. for six months. We're talking with Alan Hunter good. here on Downtown. Uh, so I mean, I, you and I are about the same vintage. I was doing radio, but also uh, going to college at the time, and, and it immediately changed the way people uh, consumed music and the type of music. New artists yeah. appeared out of nowhere yeah. because... They were able to come up with some great videos, and you had a chance to interview uh, so many incredibly talented people from Madonna to Ozzy, Lou Reed, Robin Williams. Yeah. From from all of those, who stood out as uh, either the most interesting or maybe even the most bizarre? Well, there was tons of all of those. Uh, the most bizarre would be Ozzy Osbourne, who came into the studio, and I was a huge Black Sabbath fan. And he came in stuttering and seemed incoherent. Sharon, his wife manager at the time, was, you know, saying, Ozzy's a little bit under the weather. He's got a cold, he said. <laughs> He's taking medicine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sharon! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We know the story. But I had prepped for this interview like you do, and I was totally jazzed. And my first question, I got an answer back that no one understood. <laughs> he just kind of stuttered along, and my producer came over and whispered in my ear, just do the best you can, you know? <laughs> so uh, I hung in there for that. You know, look, there were so many memorable interviews, maybe even beyond the music world. I got to interview Robin Williams. He was my hero. And when his movie Moscow on the Hudson came out, uh, he came on to the, uh, to the, the set at MTV, because MTV started to become kind of the epicenter of all things entertainment. Right. It's music, you know? Uh, Tom Cruise would come on and and, uh, and promote risky business. Um, Ghostbusters and Dan Aykroyd and I got to know know each other during that period. I got to meet Andy Warhol and interview him. So aside from great interviews with uh, you know at Live Aid with um, um, a sort of pissed off Robert Plant <laughs> and a very drunk Jimmy Page, along with a bewildered Phil Collins after that debacle of a performance. I got to interview them. So it was kind of fun to be right in kind of the epicenter of of what was going on at the time. MTV was the place everybody wanted to come. Well, including wrestlers. So. Uh, you guys got tied in closely, and you yeah. perhaps more than anybody with the WWF. Sure. Well, that was a very bizarre thing. Certainly Cindy came along with her with her fun style and hooked up via her manager, David, with the, the, the wrestling world. Captain Lou Albano was in her first video. So. Right. It was some natural dovetail between her and the wrestling world, and MTV jumped on board that. I mean, it was the perfect you know, venue to have that whole rock and wrestling thing. And they threw yours truly into the mix, because I like doing that man-in-the-street crazy stuff. You know, then we're going to put Martha Quinn in the middle of, uh, of that kind of craziness. So uh, yours truly went down there with Gene Okerlund. Oh, my gosh, yes. Wrestling. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a weird time. Those people are are uh, are nuts. Those wrestlers for sure. And I got to see that the most of the time the blood was real. <laughs> scary, scary but fun. Another one of those stunt things that MTV was so good at uh, at doing. You know, before the audience had a chance to breathe and catch up with MTV, they were always moving on to sort of the next thing. You know, whether it was Live Aid, social consciousness, or it was 
goofy stuff or the MTV Music Awards or, or just, you know, the graphics on MTV were always edgy, cool. So it's a fun environment. I want to talk about what you're doing at Sirius XM, but also I want to touch on uh, your work outside of that, along with your brother. Uh, Hunter Films has been a very successful yeah. house. Uh, you've had an Oscar-nominated film, and you've really uh, had a chance to produce some terrific movies through that. Well, thank you. I would I would probably tittle with your phrase, successful. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I made tons of money in the film business, but uh, when I moved away um, a few years back, kind of away from the Hollywood scene, you know, I was struggling to be, you know, do uh, my gigs after my MTV years were that period that every talent experiences, which is the ups and downs of the business. So to take a little more control of my life, I opened up a film company with a brother. We did uh, a bunch of really good work. I'm proud of our independent work. The Oscar nom was cool. We didn't make a whole lot of money in that business because it's called independent film. That's like running a nonprofit. You're not meant to make money. (laughs) But that was that that second phase of my life where I, you know, was taking control of my own thing. I was being a producer and tons of fun. My, my third phase now is living in Chicago with my wife who has gotten her PhD and, and, uh, I'm following a good woman to, uh, the windy city and still looking to then get back into television projects and to film projects. Now that she's a doctor, I can I can breathe again. There you so, go. Yeah, and, and doing different phases of our career. Exactly, and doing the gig on Sirius XM uh, 80s on eight. Uh, love listening to it, uh, hearing uh, almost all of you there now. And uh, boy, it's great to hear it. And the memories and the stories are so great as well. Um, what prompted you to want to do that? Obviously, the money, sure, but uh, to revisit yeah. that time in your life. Well, I, again, it's kind of funny when things come at you. It's sort of like that old line about love when you least expect it. You know, it comes tapping on your shoulder. Uh, that, that's the same with a lot of circumstances in my life. When I've been aiming at something else, something else comes along. I wanted to be an actor, and I get tapped to be a host of a music television show. Who would have thought? But I rode that wave. Um, I got a call a little over 10 years ago, early in Sirius XM. At that time, it was Sirius. It was Sirius and XM, two different companies. I got a call from a guy in my office. He called my office and left a bunch of messages uh, uh, during a week. Hey, this is uh, Kid Kelly from Sirius Radio. And, and I get calls from radio people a lot to do their show. Some guy up in Bangor, Maine called me and asked me to be on his radio show. Crazy. WKIT or something. Can you believe that? <laughs> his name was Rich. Oh, Weird. That guy's awful. But I, <laughs> So I kept thinking... He was saying he was with some, he was serious in radio or something. I didn't even know it was the satellite company. (laughs) Uh, And finally, once I had spoken to him, oh, you mean satellite radio? Yeah, I get it. But I didn't have it, so I didn't know. Um, it, 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 look, they, they asked me to be a part of it. They asked me if I could give uh, them Mark and Nina and Martha's numbers (laughs) so they could call them. (laughs) They wanted to get all four of us. And it was kind of the absolute mirror of what we did on MTV. We introduced bands. And we talked and, you know, told some anecdotes and I could do it in the comfort of my, you know, my home studio in my pajamas. And I thought, this is great. I don't have to put on makeup. So that was the real, <laughs> that was the real killer there. But it also allowed me to do other things to continue my production stuff. Uh, and it's gone on longer than I ever thought. I can't believe that I've had this job for over 10 years. That's the longest gig I've ever had, which is so bizarre. <laughs> What's changed uh, in the but, music but, business? But it's, a, but it's allowed. 
What's changed from your perspective in the music business? I mean, you guys were breaking new artists on MTV uh, in the day, but these days, uh, all these new outlets, internet opportunities, the record company's importance, maybe not what it used to be. Uh, is all of this good for yeah. music consumers? Well, I think we're going through a transition in that the digital streaming world has certainly been, has depressed artist wages over the past few years, but obviously was an inevitable thing that artists wouldn't be slaves to a mega corporation to distribute their music. The pain of having to do it yourself, to not be a part of as big a kiosk as a major record company, and having your own website back in the day, of course, when we had MySpace. <laughs> MySpace <laughs> or whatever, MySpace. No, was it MyPage? MySpace. MySpace, yeah. Um, you know, that, that was a transition, I, and I think it's getting better. They just had some recent legislation that went through that the artists are very happy about, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of the residuals. Um, I'm, I'm very hopeful for it. I think there's a lot more stuff out there, just like in entertainment in general. A billion TV channels with a billion shows. To me, there's still the same number of good quality shows. There's just a lot more stuff to weed through. Same in the music business. I think you get the same number of, you know, the same amount of cream, just a lot more stuff. Ain't that the truth? How the audience weeds through it, they listen to your station and you curate the kind of music that you guys want to curate. And I like your eclectic palette, by the way. Thank you. Um, and um, how they how how does my young how do my young kids find new music? They listen to it on Sirius. Uh, they they find it on the internet or local radio station. Um, there's just a lot more outlets but i think bands are having to rely obviously more on playing live not about selling cd units anymore is it unless you're beyonce and lady gaga (laughs) and you're you're literally moving digital normally copies of music then it's about playing live that's a benefit to the audience i think uh to the bands they got to work a little harder but i think it's more satisfying Alan Hunter. So, I don't know if we're I don't know if we're at the end of the transition or at the beginning of it, but I think I think times are good. We'll find out. Alan Hunter, you hear him on Sirius XM Radio. Uh, get the book as well, VJ, The Unplugged Adventures of MTV's yeah. First Wave. Follow Alan on Twitter. You're a great follow at Alan Hunter MTV. Oh, thank you so much, man. And I love what you're doing up there. I'd listen to the show here one before I came on. Good. Sounds good. Well, thanks. Hey, I appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, continued success and good health to you. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you again down the road. Yes, sir. I'm going to go get me a lobster now. All right. That sounds good. We'll send one your way. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> Later, man. <laughs> hey, that's Alan Hunter of uh, MTV. And, of course, these days, Sirius XM Radio here on Downtown the Podcast. When we come back, we'll talk with legendary actor Ed Asner. Up first, a word from our friends at Cross Insurance. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With a network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Just over five years ago, two friends got together to create balanced beers that pay respect to the rich tradition of German brewing, layered with a nuance and eccentricity of modern brewing methods. And Nice Brewing Company was born. G-N-E-I-S-S. Nice Brewing 
based in Limerick in the foothills of the White Mountains. That's where Dustin and Tim combine a love of beer, science, and their German heritage to create truly unique brews. Whether it's the Nice Weiss, the Sun and Shine, IPAs, Stouts, Porters, or any of their seasonal offerings, you'll love what they've got brewing at Nice. Ask for beers from Nice at your favorite restaurant or bar, and look for Nice in cans all around the state of Maine. Work hard, play hard, be nice. Who can turn the world on with her smile? Well, our next guest on Downtown the Podcast played Lou Grant, the crusty but lovable boss at WJM in Minneapolis on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Went on to star as Lou Grant newspaper editor in a spinoff series and is the only person ever nominated and ever uh, to win an Emmy Award for playing the same character in a comedy and in a drama. He's been nominated for 27 Emmy Awards and has won seven more than any other male performer in the history of television. Ed Asner brings his one-man show, A Man and His Prostate, to Bangor soon and is traveling all around the country uh, touring this wonderful show written by his longtime friend, fellow comedy legend, Ed Weinberger. We had a chance to talk with Ed Asner about the road and about some of his iconic roles in both television and film. Well, Mr. Asner, thank you so much for taking time for us this afternoon. You're out on tour for a couple of weeks. How is the road treating you so far? Well, it's treating us very well. Uh, I have uh, a little tickle in my throat this morning, so we're at a doctor's uh, centralia, so to speak, uh, getting the throat examined, and uh, you're a great way to kill the time. Well, I'm glad we could be here for that part of your day. Uh, tell us about this show, A Man and His Prostate, uh, a pretty talented combination, you and your longtime friend Ed Weinberger working together on this. Right. We wrote a book together, and we're doing this play together, and I, I, I found it uh, a, a brilliant play. Uh, he is He knows how to clang the metals and and get the laughs and at the same time it's a very great public service well absolutely it's a great reminder uh, to men to take care of yourself and, and get yourself checked uh, what's it like too you have to enjoy getting out there and connecting with a live audience so you've done a, a couple of touring shows over the last year or so is that different? Is it a much different response being there with an audience that's so close and you get that immediate reaction? Well, you can't blame anybody else except me. <laughs> that's true. There's so, nobody to uh, feed you a line if you go up either. I know, I know. And I'm delighted that, that uh, uh, we've been so successful with the play. It, it, it's truly a funny, a funny uh, treatment of the whole subject. Uh, along with delivering the, the cautionary lines of examination and uh, precaution. Mr. Asna, you, you mentioned the book that uh, you released earlier, well, I guess it was late last year, the sort of reclaiming the Constitution for, for the left. And what was that experience working with, uh, with Ed Weinberger on that as well? Well, he's, he's so thorough. I mean, he is absolutely exhaustive in his research and guides me uh, appropriately. And uh, nobody can question his 
his conclusions. So uh, uh, the grouchy historian, uh, I think, deserves uh, a high place in, in uh, reminding Americans that the Constitution belongs to them, all of us, uh, as well as the right-wing originalists, so-called. We're talking with Ed Asner here on Downtown. Well, uh, speaking of reminding Americans, uh, you're former president of the Screen Actors Guild. All around the country, uh, legislation being considered with right-to-work laws. Uh, Why is it important, perhaps now more than ever, that we have unions and that people support unions in this country? For God's sake, because this is a capitalist country. And, you know, not that they're evil intent, but capitalists are out to make as much money as they can and uh, oftentimes uh, disregard the needs of those people who have made the product for them. So this is, this is, uh, this is our, our, our way of, uh, of trying to, uh, uh, how shall I say, uh, remind people that, that unions are a counterbalance to the greed of capitalists. Well, that, that would seem to suggest then, Mr. Asner, that maybe, uh, Maybe putting billionaires in charge of the government might not be the best plan. Why do so many people who would classify themselves as the little guy think that those people would have their best interests at heart, do you think? Well, it's it's because uh, uh, people automatically, out of lazy, sluggish thinking, automatically think, well, hell, he he made a billion. He He knew how to scam that one. Uh, put him in charge of government, and he'll scam it, scam that for us as uh, as the citizens. And it's not always true. They uh, all too often the billionaire will. Uh, and I'm not listen. There are there are great billionaires. We've got some great billionaires in this country as well. But uh, you you have to check them out just like anybody else. Absolutely. Uh, we would be remiss to not to bring up a couple of the iconic television shows you've been a part of. From your perspective, what's the secret of the durability of the Mary Tyler Moore show? It ho- holds up so well after all these years. What's the secret? Well, her. She was she was the doll, the doll baby that made it work. Great writing, well-directed, and um, a good supporting cast. She was the she was the axle, and we were all the loonies uh, <laughs> making up the tire. Well, and it was so unusual too uh, that your show, Lou Grant, uh, was spun off from Mary, Mary Tyler Moore, but as a drama, and uh, another terrific series as well. But again, surrounded by wonderful writers, and, and you had a great supporting cast on that show as well. Oh, I did. I really loved that cast. And I wouldn't have sold them or traded them for anything. They were great. And unfortunately, three of them have passed on. Now, I have a four-year-old, so around my house, if I were to mention your name or if we hear your voice, well, you're Mr. Fredrickson to my four-year-old. Uh, such yes, a wonderful yes, performance. Yes. In op- how, how much do you enjoy doing the voice acting? Because that was such a, a tremendous performance. I like it as much as I like any other acting. It's a, 
you, you believe in what you're doing and, and you, you project what you want to achieve. If I were walking on stage, I'd do the same thing. Except with voice acting, I just can do it through my voice and I do my best. You have a, uh, the Ed Asner Family Center. You want to talk a little bit about what that organization does and, and who it reaches out to? Well, my son and his wife, we've just started it this year, actually. My son and his wife started it, and uh, I'm honored that they chose me to make the focal point of it. But it's, it's primarily, I have an autistic son, and my son has an autistic son. And we are deeply involved and intrigued in this situation. And we realize that there's uh, an untold number of individuals out there who need the kind of social and psychological help that a center would give them in terms of guiding them, in terms of investing their time uh, and improving their time. So... uh, uh, being a, being a part of the problem, we try to be a part of the solution. Well, you're busier than ever. Uh, the stage show, of course, and uh, you've got a brand new series coming to Netflix. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Dead to Me with what sounds like another wonderful cast, James Marsden, Christina Applegate, Linda Cardellini. Uh, what's the premise behind that? Well, uh, <laughs> it's hard to say, but uh, it's a wonderful Wonderfully written show, I must say. I'm hardly, I'm hardly mentioned in it, but hopefully, as time goes on, they'll find some, some better way of uh, demonstrating me. But it's, uh, it's about these two women who, uh, who I won't say why or how they are inextricably entwined, and they uh, endure life together. Uh, in varying ways and make a wonderful match. Uh, there's, uh, I play a, um, a denizen of a, of a nursing home and, uh, uh, on the make as is my usual nature. <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, uh, hopefully, uh, I get to score by the time the series ends, <laughs> but uh, it's got uh, it's got a uh, a husband in there, well, actually a, a boyfriend who uh, uh, is uh, severing his relationship with one of the women, and two kids, and uh, a mother-in-law. So it's uh, it's a real American family. I can honestly tell you, I, I read the scripts last night, first time, and I'm really impressed with the, the, uh, the deftness of the writing. The great Ed Asner here on Downtown, the podcast. As we wrap it up for this week, thanks so much to Ed Asner and to original VJ Alan Hunter. And thanks to you for joining us. We remind you, Downtown the Podcast is brought to you by Nice Brewing Company, German-style beer from the woods of Maine, and by Cross Insurance, where security meet strength. Carrie Haskell will never will never have another endorsement of the show. As good as Ed Asner is it's a good way to kill some time. <laughs> that's uh that's a good one. I I'm uh, yeah. I, I'm fine with that on the tombstone. I'm fine with that on our business cards. 
we run with it. I like that a lot. Alan Hunter didn't, I don't think he believed me because he tweeted back about it when I told him that lobsters, when the first European settlers came here, were six to eight feet long. Yes. Because no one had ever harvested them before. It, it took some very hungry Europeans. That's right. Going, the size of that eh, thing. we got to try it. <laughs> it's big enough. It'll feed several of us. Let's do it. That was a lot of fun, too, talking with Alan Hunter, who also reminisced about his days coming up here to Bangor a couple times, including once to eat lobster and once to introduce hollow notes on their big bang tour. Uh, good stuff, as always. Downtown the Podcast. Tell your friends, subscribe, spread the word, and we'll see you next week right here on Downtown the Podcast.